0: All right, well, last week we talked about praying, and uh, Paul said, first of all, pray. Paul was telling Timothy, he made it clear that Timothy was to stay in Ephesus. He had a job to do. Some of you, uh, you know, staying just means be where God tells you to be in ministry. Uh, If God's called you to be here, we've made it clear there's some things that, that we're about as a church. You should be evaluating yourself in those five areas. Uh, you should ask yourself have already asked yourself and talk to God about God. How am I doing in reference to the things that you've called me to be and do in this church? Because God called you here and God has gifted you by his spirit in the same way that he gifted, uh, Timothy. When Paul talked about the fact that when they laid their hands on you, uh, the, the elders recognized a gift in you and it was a very specific gift to preach and pastor. And so you need to stay where you are and you need to minister, uh, fully by the holy spirit's power where you are all right we i hope you have not left that message behind we need to receive that challenge from god to minister within the gifts that god's giving you you are a vital part of this body every one of you even the ones that feel like you are insignificant you are so significant to this body be a part of the body be here be here early be at Life Group. Be at Life Group early. Connect with people. Be in the, in the place of blessing for those who are lost and wondering. That is, praying for them, listening to them, eating with them, serving them, and ultimately sharing the gospel as God gives you an opportunity. Be in those places. Find the ministry that God has for you in the context of this body also and participate in that. If there's some new ministry that God's calling you to do, uh, you know, there's Go through the process of bringing that to the Lord and then bringing it to the elders and then us bringing it to, to him as well and to the church. So doing that stuff. So Paul says, I, you have a call in your life. Timothy, don't neglect this, but, but practice it. And, uh, and he says, and immerse yourself in it. So immerse yourself is not just doing it half hap or haphazardly. It's doing it with all of your power and strength. Give all that you have to this ministry. And he, so he tells him that, and here's your ministry, uh, Timothy. You need to uh, address those people who are teaching false doctrine. You need to refute that doctrine, that, that it's grace only. It's the grace of God only. Uh, I have been refuted by Timothy in the last couple of weeks. All right, He, he refuted me by reading that text. I, I feel like God said false teaching. All right, so I've corrected that. Or God has corrected that me, But Paul, Timothy, refute false teaching and make sure that you tell the people, don't listen to it. And so, all right, Timothy's getting geared up. He has a message from, from God that's given through Paul to use his gift. He's getting, he's getting fired up about what he's supposed to do. And right as he's about to step out and start refuting and start correcting doctrine and start uh, speaking to people in the church, Paul says this in chapter 2, first of all. First of all, before you take off, Timothy, with this, with this ministry that you have, pray. 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 It's going to change your attitude. It's going to prepare you. It's going to, it's going to set the stage for me. It's going to, uh, in many ways, release the power of the Holy Spirit to work on your behalf. And I, I was confessing today, I don't know what all prayer does. I really don't. There's so many different ideas about what prayer is and it's all about and what it does. You know, from all the way from prayer is just for you to meditate and be alone with God. It's all inward or to it's all about us getting things accomplished in prayer. When we pray, uh, our prayer makes God do something that he wouldn't normally do. You know, and there's so much different stuff about prayer. But here's what I know. God says pray. I discovered this week something that prayer does that I didn't know about. I'm sure Scripture teaches it, but I discovered it by experience this week that as I prayed for those that I was feeling judgment for, it changed my attitude. Immediately, it changed my attitude, which ultimately is going to change the way I minister to those people. So how we pray makes it important, particularly for those that we have problems with. Paul had to, I mean, Timothy was going to have to refute these false teachers who were saying everything against what Paul had said. So pray, he says. Now, he moves this prayer into worship and prayer in worship uh, in verse 8. And so let's pick up there. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, just some, some struggles that we have in worship and some things that this text will teach us today. Uh, we, won't, we won't go into detail on a lot of it, but we're going to hit uh, hit it in a gen- very general way uh, and make application today. Verse 8 through 15, chapter 2, 1 Timothy. I desire then that in every place... The men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submission or submissiveness. I I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, Rather, she, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and se- with self-control. All right, let's start at the beginning of this. First of all, men should pray. Men should pray. It's not much of a manly posture in the eyes of the world for men to pray. People don't consider you to be a man's man if you're praying. Uh, You know, unless it's a bumper sticker on the back of a Christian person's motor, you know, right next to the fish, sometimes. But the world doesn't see it that way. It's not manly for us to pray. Uh, But God says men should pray. In God's economy, a praying man uh, is significant because that's a man who is surrendered to God. Prayer is a, is a posture of surrender. Now, I know that we don't always pray this way, so let me ask you about this, men and women too. It's for all of us. But when you pray, are you praying uh, with an attitude of, I'm in control of this thing and I'm fixing to make it happen, or are you praying in a posture of surrender? Say, God, I don't know what to do. God, I surrender to you. I need you to show me what to do in life. I need you to show me what, uh, how to handle situations in my life. And I need you to be in control of me because I'm out of control. It's a posture of surrender to God. It's significant. And then he says, lifting holy hands. How should we pray? He says, lifting holy hands uh, to the Lord. Holy hands. Early Christians would turn up their palms toward heaven Uh, As those who were were craving help would do. It was a sign of humility and dependence upon God. They would lift their hands uh, to heaven with their palms open. And it was was symbolic to them of the fact that they had nothing to offer to God. But they needed God. So it's humility to say, I have nothing to offer to you, God. And my hand is lifted saying, I need you. To be all for me. So a a man praying to God in a posture of dependence on God is one that, that lifts his hands up to God. Now, we're not talking about, you do what you want to in worship. But I can tell you this morning, I did this morning lift my hands because I read this this past week. And I was feeling all of what I've been studying. And it was awesome to me. Not because I care about what any of you think at all. I don't. But I'm here to worship God, and so are you. We're here for that reason. So when I lifted my hand this morning, it wasn't to look contemporary. It wasn't so that people would say, "Oh, this is one of those kind of Baptist churches, where it's okay to lift your hands." Cool, you know. Man, it was all in in reference to this study. And so I want to encourage you, in reference to this study, uh, to lift your hands if you feel a a posture of surrender to God, and if you feel uh, to God. Uh, this toward God, that God I'm lifting my hands because I don't know what to do with life. And and when I'm at my best, I'm still terrible. And I recognize that I gotta have your help. <laughs> so I'm got my antenna up, <laughs> you know, whatever. Come right through that hand right there. You know, me, me, I'm weak. I'll use your help. You know. Whatever you want to visualize. But for them it was a it was a posture of surrender to God and a in a in a posture of God, I don't know what to do with with my life. I give up. Take me completely. I'm a miserable failure. Come on, I need you to do something in my life. Please, do something in my life. So it's not more spiritual for you to lift your hands. It's just, this was part of their practice, but it's a good practice. I got to experience that this morning. Uh, As I worshiped, it was so much more real for me today. So it's a sign of humility and dependence. But also, he says, lift holy hands to the Lord. Holy means are meant clean of unrighteousness or at least with a heart whose intent is to be towards being clean with uh, uh, of unrighteousness it's a sign of respect to God it's saying to God, God I'm lifting up holy hands in other words just like uh, it was a practice in Jesus' day uh, uh, is it Potiphar that washed his hands? Potiphar? no, Pilate? Pontius Pilate our right, Pilate washed his hands. That was a symbol. I'm, I'm washing my hands of this. I'm clean of this, of this situation. Uh, that was symbolic. The washing of hands or having clean hands was a sign of, of, of I have no control. And so in the same way, when we lift up holy hands to God, we're saying, God, I, I with all my heart, I've done everything I can to join you in cleansing myself of this problem. Uh, to cleanse myself of the things that you've revealed the sin that you've revealed in my life and i and and so i'm coming to you with holy hands saying i've done all i can now you do the rest right but even the even the what we've done is not us it's god but you get the picture it's like god we've been working all this all week i'm worshiping today saying i'm not done i need you to take over holy hands it's not a haphazard attitude of worship where we come before god uh, it, without considering our sin or just winking at our sin. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But it's coming with this idea of a representation of the of, of absence of known guilt in regard to my heart. I want to be pure of this, and I'm not just living in sin and then coming on Sunday and having my worship experience. Y'all get that? It's It's bigger than... Worship being a Sunday morning thing. This is worship all week long. God, I'm coming with clean hands. I've dealt with the things you told me about. I'm struggling and I need your help, God. And I am I surrender to you and I'm thankful for your forgiveness. And I'm thankful that you take my sins, but God, cleanse me of this sin that I continue to seem to walk in. It's not the holiness in the sense of being set apart from God. It's a different, or set, set apart for God. It's a different word. It means that I I want to be in a position of holiness and experience of life. So take control. So that's the way men should pray. We should come to God after time of examination and introspection. And here's the problem with that for most of us. Y'all still with me? Here's the problem for most of us men. To come to God uh, with, with holy hands means we need time for introspection. We need some time for, for talking to God and dealing with God about our lives. And, and most of us will not stop long enough to do some introspection about the things that God brings up in our lives or even stop long enough to hear God's voice saying, you got a problem in your life. And so God wrecks our lives a lot of the times and because he disciplines the ones he loves and he comes in and wrecks us up enough that we begin to recognize we got an issue. So if we're going to keep holy hands before the Lord, we're going to have to have some time for introspection. And most of us are too busy for that. And I get it. Man, I'm busy. This is the last week I started teaching a developmental psychology class. It's Three hours every morning. Totally wrecked my schedule. I'm trying to figure out how am I going to have time for introspection. I get it. I know we're busy. But we need to stop and think long enough to intensify our experience of the Holy Spirit in prayer. Man, we've got to do it. We've got to do it. I encourage you. Let's warm the incubator up. All right, nobody's judging here. I'm with you. I need my incubator warm today to begin to have and let my faith grow as I spend time alone in introspection with the Lord. And then introspection should lead us to a place of felt need for repentance. Once we begin to think about where we are and and talk to God about it, then what does it do? It doesn't within the heart of a man who is who is coming to God with the right attitude, it doesn't cause us to say, well, I don't care about that. It causes us to come to God and say, "Wow, God, I got this issue and I want it out of my life." So it leads to repentance. I don't I don't want to stay in sin. I want to get out of sin. And repentance should should cause us to lift our hands to God and surrender uh, because we recognize how weak we are. But here's what here's where I think a lot of us are at times, myself included, and very convicted about that this week. Please hear this man I think what happens is we come before God and we kind of wink at our sin you know I'll be back in a minute you know we we don't deal with we, we don't have time to deal with sin the only time we even think about God is when we're here and the the, the only place that we get in an experience of worship or when the words being taught is a place of hearing for the first time and maybe feeling the conviction for the first time about our sin because you can't really do much else while I'm speaking other than sleep you can do that you know but but you're here you're quiet maybe for some of you for the first time this week you're quiet but introspection is going to cause us when you spend some time alone with God you get in his word and you pray it's going to cause us to have a felt need for true repentance and that that felt need of true repentance uh causes us to lift our hands to God and say God I have I am messed up I Agree with what you're saying about my life. And I want this out. Our hearts are before God. That's lifting holy hands. So he says that men should pray. Lifting holy hands. uh, Without anger or quarreling. Now without anger or quarreling. Specifically I think men have problems with pride. Maybe more than women do. We all have problems with pride. It, It is. It runs rampant in our race. And so all of you are dealing with this, but I think men particularly, we have problems with pride. We are performance-oriented. Uh, we always compete with each other. And so there's, there's pride, and pride is what is the source of anger and quarreling. So when I don't get in my way or, or, uh, or when you don't do what I want you to do, I get angry. Or if something doesn't go exactly the way I had it planned, I get angry. Uh, or if, there's, if I want my way, you want your way, then we're, we're fighting and arguing about that. It's a man's problem, and I love the way that he brings that out. He says, lift holy hands without anger or quarreling. There's a result that happens when we're surrendered to God. That's humility, and so the anger and quarreling go away. Specifically, man, that's our issues. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 10, uh, Paul is talking to the church of Colossae about a number of sins, but he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So this is what's happening. We're being renewed in the knowledge after the image of, of our creator. As we gain knowledge of sin in our lives, there's repentance that happens. We don't live and walk in our old sinful ways anymore. We don't wink at sin anymore. We, d- we desire to get sin out of our lives, and we desire to walk in obedience to God. So repentance happens for men. And anger is one of those things that he says we should be putting away. Don't hold on to those things. Get rid of it. Uh, and then 1 John 2 Verses 16 and 17 says all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But listen to what he says here. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You are abiding in Christ as you do the will of God. We know that. We learned that in the abiding passages. Uh, obedience is, is abiding. When we know what the will of God is and we obey it, that is abiding. And he says that uh, we need to put on this new self and put, put away all those old desires because when we do the will of God, we are abiding in him and get to know him. But look at what he says. He says, everything that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, all three of those things, those are really three broad categories that, that represent all of sin. Uh, I've seen some and heard some beautiful messages on on how those three sins uh, categorically um, represent man's fall and also Christ's uh, victory over the temptations uh, in the wilderness. Those three areas, you know, there's three temptations, three ways that that uh, Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, and there's three things that that uh, three ways that he tempted the same three ways he tempted Jesus. Adam and Eve fell. Jesus was victorious in defeating the enemy. And in this particular one, we're talking about pride that leads to anger and quarreling. And in Genesis chapter 3, it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband and he ate. God told Eve that she couldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That that would keep her from being aware of sin, which would ultimately would destroy her innocence and her joy. And yet, what did the serpent tell her? The serpent came to her and said that she would be like God if she ate from the tree. And she, he was appealing to the pride of life that's inside of us. We all have this, this pride that swells up inside of us, and Satan knows how to feed it. That's the pride of life. So she had the wrong motive. She wanted to be like God instead of surrender to God in humility and realizing she could never be like God. So, man, we must quit winking at our own sin whenever we come to God. We need to join the Holy Spirit to remove pride from our lives and along with it anger and quarreling and all all the other sins that come from pride. And then we can really come to know God in our experience. All right, so then he says also in verses 9 through 12, women, strap on your seatbelts. We're going to go for a ride. No, I'm just kidding. I think we'll be all right when this is done. He says, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with Uh, With what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So is it wrong for a woman to wear makeup and clothes other than certain clothes that have been designated by your pastor? Uh, Is it wrong for women to teach men? Uh, that uh, we all know that those teachings are out there. It is an interpretation of this passage. Uh, You know, and we we need to know where we stand on some of these things. But this is definitely a way that it can be interpreted. And I would say, uh, if there's any woman here who really feels like the Holy Spirit is telling you you can't wear makeup and that you you have to wear a dress all the time or, uh, you know, you have to wear your hair a certain way, uh, then follow what the Holy Spirit says, and you will be blessed in that. If you're a woman here, and you feel like that uh, that God has told you that you can never teach a man, then walk in that, and you will be blessed. Uh, there are other interpretations of this passage. We tend to stand more on the side of believing that what he's dealing with here is it really, first of all, in this picture, He's saying, find your sufficiency in Christ, women. Find your sufficiency in Christ. Walk with him and, and let your life be about surrender to God, first of all, and adorn yourself with those things. So before I even deal with uh, whether, whether, whether the clothes are significant or not or what you wear is significant, this is significant. And nobody argues with this point, that what he's saying here is that we should clothe ourselves with good works. Women, you need to clothe yourself with good works. You need to, to, to be uh, well-dressed with the things that God puts in your heart to do. Obedience to him in every way, in the same way that men are. Do what God says. Walk in his will. Uh, not in your own plan for your life. Not in what, and, and finding your sufficiency in Christ. Not, first of all, not in what men think about you. They were in a male-dominated society, and that society still today is male-dominated. Uh, and so they were surely worried about what men thought of them. And if I can adore myself in a way that might grab the attention of a few more men, that's a good thing for me because women are nothing in our society back then, right? Women are, are definitely second-class citizens in the eyes of the, of the society. And so they would do things to, to get the attention of men. Uh, in that particular case, there was a uh, definitely a cultural thing. Um, there were temple prostitutes and all kinds of different uh, religions that that promoted that. And so there were definitely women who were dressed uh, in order to entice men. And so that was the competition of the day for a woman who wanted to, who was considering how do I get the attention of men in this community. And they know that men are visual. That you don't you don't have to be. You know, men are God, you know, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. We're very different. Men are definitely visually oriented. And so to get attention to men, that was what they would do. But find your sufficiency in Christ, not in what men think about you. Find your sufficiency in Christ, not in the fact that you know more than someone else. You know, there's a big fight because uh, some of the things that, that you know, really mainly conservative Christians will say as we rise up and claim our authority is that women should be quiet. Well, what's that going to cause to happen in in a a woman who's a strong person? She's going to want to rise up and take your head off and do exactly the opposite. And so Paul, again, is saying, look, adorn yourself with the qualities of God. Humility. Surrender to God. Don't let that seed that's in you to be be like God and be be equal in rights to whoever. Just be what God's called you to be. Adorn yourself in that. So find your sufficiency in Christ, not in what men think about you, not in the fact that you are more than someone else, and not in the fact that you're going to be controlled by a man. Uh, so Paul wants us to understand that. That's the big picture of what he's saying here, is that we, women, you need to, just like men, be more concerned about walking in God's will for your life. And he addresses some cultural things that are going on in, in Ephesus and I think we need to also consider the culture when we make choices about how we live. We've talked about that. Uh, now, biblically, uh, we, there's the Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 to 28 is a passage that, that causes all of us to be equal in regard to our connection with God and the freedom that we have under Christ. Let me read that for us. Galatians 3, 24 to 28. It says, So then the law was our guardian, until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. All right, we're equal, sons of God through faith. We're equal in that way. We're not equal in the way we were made. We're different in the way we're made. Keaton yesterday gave a beautiful uh, vow to to Mallory at their wedding and one of the things he said was that we are equal in the, in the sense that all of us are sons and daughters of God and none of us are favorites we're all sons and daughters of God but we're different in the way that God created us men are from Mars women are from Venus very different you don't have to look at a woman long to realize she's different than you Not just in the physical way, in in many ways. We're different. God created us that way. But each of us have equal value to God. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs of the promise. So here's what he's saying. Clearly, I believe in this passage. This is the, this is the view, closer to the view that we take uh, as elders of the church. Is that there are roles that, that we believe God is leading us as elders to give people within the body. Uh, there are certain roles that are designated roles for men. And there are certain roles that, uh, well, not that are just designated for women. But there are, there are certain roles that women are not going to hold in this society. Paul was concerned about them reaching the, the people at Ephesus. So he's telling Timothy, here's what the women need to do in this culture where you are. There's some things going on. Paul is, is by the power of the Holy Spirit and, the, and the, um, the, whole, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, giving Timothy a very specific word for Ephesus. And here's what needs to happen. Women need to not make a big deal about the fact that they are in a male-dominated society. Instead, they need to submit to God and also operate within that society in a way that shows the people of that society godliness. That when they look at them, they say, that's a godly person. Now, there's, Our culture is the same way here. We, we live in a culture that there's definitely some changes going on uh, in regard to, to positions that women hold in leadership. But in the church right now, still, there, there's, a, there's a, a, a little bit of a difference. Now, do we allow women to teach? Yes, we do. Uh, the only thing a woman doesn't do in this church right now is be an elder. Um, culturally, at this point, that's where we believe the Lord wants us. So we're just doing what, we, we're, what the Lord wants us to do, we feel like. We are leading, we're asking God and we're leading the church in that direction. That's the only thing in our Constitution and bylaws, the only position that a woman doesn't hold in our church. I believe the reason why the Lord's led us to do that is because culturally, this culture, this this area is not ready for it yet. But all over the world, there are women who are in positions of leadership, uh, who are pastors of churches. I'm not trying to refute that. But I know that there's more than one thing that's going on here. And what Paul says in Galatians is we are free from the law. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about here's the list that everybody has to follow. It's about us seeking God for what is your will for us. There are cultural uh, things to consider that God knows about. He knows how to help us to reach this culture. And so he puts those things in place. And so in their society, definitely there were... Women were second-class citizens to a certain degree. Definitely, if you would compare what they were, how they were living there, and what was demanded of them, and what's demanded of women in this society, night and day difference. But really, throughout the years, even in the United States, as women have had more freedom and more freedom, uh, have they op- have you operated within the context of the freedoms that you have in this culture by asking God, how do I respond? How do I respond? How do I live? The same thing that that Paul is telling Timothy to preach to the men, he's telling him to preach to the women. Walk in submission to God. And that's going to cause you to be adorned with the right kind of attitude in the culture where you live. Ask God, and Paul addresses specific things. With the men he addresses anger and quarreling. With the women he addresses dress and attitudes towards leadership and, and men. He addresses those things, and those are specific things for Ephesus. So here's the question for us. How do we walk with God in the context of where we are? It's not an easy question to answer. We live in a, in a, in a city that right now is getting progressively more, uh, leaning progressively more towards political correctness, as is the whole country. And you know what all that means. You know, I can stand up here and preach against political correctness, and I'll be honest with you, I know you feel the same way in some ways, all of us do. It irritates me at times that I live in a, in a culture that when I'm trying to minister to somebody, I've got I to gotta try and figure out how do they feel about the words that I'm using so that I don't offend them while I'm trying to bring the message to them. That can be frustrating, and it's tiring, man. It's, it's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a burden, but it's a good burden. It is the burden that God wants us to bear. It is something that he wants us to ask about. What do we do in the context of where we live? And we need God to give us a word, to give us many words about how to handle what this culture considers to be correct, politically correct. And sometimes it means that we're going to have to stand uh, on the word of God in a very specific way that we feel convicted to stand and somebody will will refuse to be connected with us in any way because of it. And as long as it's God's plumb line that's dropped in, then they don't want to measure up to that. I, I That's where we stand. Everybody agree with that? Whatever God says that we're going to be as a church, however God says for us to operate in this community, we're going to, we're going to preach it. And if, if on any day that God gives me a word for this body as your pastor, as the pastor of vision and leadership here, if God gives me a word for this church, specifically from his word, that maybe other churches in this community do not do not accept, we're going to walk in what God gives us. Okay? Because it's going to be him. It's not going to be, well, there's a whole group of people that are standing this way, or there's a whole group that are standing this way. Which side are we going to choose? We're going to, we're going to ask God. That's what I love about this church. We believe God can speak, that God can guide us and give us specific words. In the same way that he gave Paul a specific word for that church at Ephesus, that's not the word he gave Titus for the church at Crete. It's not the word that he gave other pastors for the churches in Revelation. There's specific things that God will have us dealing with in order to make us more effective in doing what God's called us to do. Big picture, that's what's going on with Timothy. Paul is saying, God's given me this word, Timothy, to you that here's the issues you need to deal with. And as you're doing it, pray, seek the Lord, and here's some specifics. There's some junk going on in worship, and men are, are, are haphazardly coming before the throne of God, and they're not lifting holy hands to me. They're winking at sin, and they're walking in it, and they have pride, and they have arrogance, and they have, it's resulting in anger, and it's resulting in uh, quarreling, and they're, they're, it's, it's a bad picture. It's an inaccurate picture of who I am. St- tell them to straighten that stuff up. And you got some women within the context of the church who are, who are not following the cultural uh, norms. Not in the way that I want them to. And so I want you to tell these women, quit worrying about your dress and quit trying to dress to impress. Instead, dress modestly and, and live a life that shows that Christ is in you. And again, and, quit worrying about being in leadership over men in the church. Just walk in modesty and walk in this culture and in a a submissive role to the men. That's my will for you. Do it. If God was to say that to me today, I would say it in this church, and we would do it. I hope. So we need to ask God. We need to be in communication with God. So prayer and worship, man, is so important as we begin to think about being the leaders that God calls us to be in this community. I hope that hits you right today, and I hope the Holy Spirit will make sense of it for you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that our worship would be more true as we walk in obedience to you. I pray that we will be conscious of the sin that's in our lives, but not conscious in a way that causes us to walk in guilt, but instead that causes us to walk in repentance and in thanksgiving for the God that has forgiven us and doesn't hold our sins against us. You're so faithful and constant. God, you're so loving and true. You're so powerful. You see us. You know our every move. And God, you f- do not forsake us in our weakness. And we know that, that you are for us. And so, God, just uh, let that grab our hearts today. Let let the fact that you are patient and gracious, merciful and true. Help those things to grab us in a way today that we will allow ourselves to be adjusted to you. And, God, really that's all we need. We don't need to figure out all the details of what that looks like. We just need to surrender to you today. Let that be our prayer today, God, as we worship in Jesus' name.